listeners. This is the Petite Poly Bath. I'm your host, Britt Stone. It's been a while, so we're going to talk today about the uh, collection of stories, Men Without Women, by Haruki Murakami. Hello there, everyone. So it's been about a month. I took a break because I just, I just like couldn't find the time slash didn't really want to find the time to um, review a book. And I was actually supposed to review something else, and then the feeling left me. And it's a woman's prerogative to change her mind, and so change it I did. And I went to the bookstore this past week and bought a couple of books, which got me excited to then start podcasting again. So here we are. So Haruki Murakami's Men Without Women. Um, it's, uh, he's an author who I've seen um, in my perusing of bookstores, but I actually had never read anything by him until I read this collection of stories. It's really quite lovely, and I haven't read something written by a man that's fiction in a bit. Not really intentionally, it just kind of wasn't happening. Um, so it's kind of fun to um, hear another voice. Um, also, I am headed to Japan in, uh, in a month, and so it seemed fitting to, to read him in that setting, as all these stories, for the most part, are set in Japan, with the exception of one of them, I believe, which was set in um, the Czech Republic. Uh, kind of a retelling of, um, or a reversal, rather, of Kafka's Metamorphosis, um, Kafka and I have a very complicated history, uh, mainly because in the penal colony scarred me as a college student. I, I had like recurrent nightmares and couldn't finish, couldn't finish, uh, his short stories. So, anyway, I digress. Um, so back to Men Without Women. So it's a collection of seven stories about the subject of men without women. Um, whether it's because their wife has left them, um, or their wife has died, or they never had a committed relationship. Um, all of these are protagonist gentlemen who don't have women in their lives, and they feel the absence of them. It's actually kind of fun to read as a woman. One takeaway, so, oh my goodness, it's so full of love. Like, the prose is really uh, emotion-filled, um, and it's kind of enjoyable to to get that from a man. I mean, granted, I guess you read lots of fiction about feelings and love, and men often write them. So I think sometimes when we forget that men are often as romantic, if not more, than their female counterparts, kind of nice to be reminded on the other side oh my gosh so much sex like it's as it's as if um the body can't be separated from like the lofty ideas of love which I mean I guess it's we could debate this um when women talk about love it's it's not as attached to their genitalia as uh the guys do at least in, in this collection I was struck by that a lot I mean not that women don't you know, have desires and things. It's just different language. Um, so I, I had a blast. I think it took me just my flight. I'm in New Orleans for the weekend meeting some friends. And so I started reading this last night. I think I got through two and a half of the stories, 
which left me with five and a half stories to finish, which I read on the flight from Austin to New Orleans. A very nice, you know, hour, 45-minute flight. It was awesome. And um, I had some personal things in my own life, just, you know, thinking about relationships and whatnot, that uh, made this reading even more um, timely. Uh, So some of the themes that stood out to me, uh, this idea of um, not really ever knowing another human being. Uh, There's a short story called An Independent Organ, uh, where the, the, the main character believes that women have an independent organ <laughs> that allows them to lie about things, particularly things that are important, so much so that they don't even feel bad about it. And, like, when they lie to men, they don't even, like, there's, like, no, there's no guilt. There's no bodily, like, sign, you know, like, no shifty-eyedness or increase in heart rate. It's just a matter of fact, and they can act, like, move on as if they've told the truth, um, and that every woman has this capability, but that it's, like, something discreet from, from, like, who she is, which is kind of an interesting idea. I don't think he thinks men have this, which is why it's kind of funny, um, and then there, uh, of course, is, like, the retelling, or what I call the reversal of The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka, um, called Samsa and Love, which is kind of about this guy like waking up in a body and learning how to use it again. Um, after he doesn't really have recollection of who he was before, but if you've read Metamorphosis, you know a man wakes up one day and he's a roach or a beetle or something, you know, gross like that. Uh, and, you know, how a human being adjusts to being in the body of an insect. What, what is it like if you reverse that and you go from being an insect to being a human being again? Um, and I, I do Pilates, uh, so there's this thing that one of my instructors does called uh, primal postures, which is not hearkening back to evolution, but rather hearkening back to developmental kind of movement. Uh, the postures that we do as infants when we're learning like how to interact with the world. And this idea that like children well, younger than that, that infants respond to a stimulus stimulus of some sort, which then, like, compels them to move. But it's seeing something with their eyes that they then follow that then moves them, right? And so sometimes when we do Pilates class, we will go through primal postures to kind of, like, reconnect with with these very um, stimuli, stimuli uh, inspired ways of movement, and the way that he describes the beginning of Samson and love, and like Gregor waking up in a body and figuring out how to walk, and like praxis, like how does one put on clothing, and how do you eat and use your hands, and all these sorts of things. It was very appealing for like the nerdy neurologist in me. Um, I also really enjoyed, uh, there were two stories kind of about men dealing with, with women that they'd fallen in love with and like kind of relationships and how they interplay with friendship. And I, you know, I, I think maybe kind of generally speaking in some ways, the, there's almost this kind of role reversal in some of the stories 
where like where you would normally expect a woman to be, the man is, and the woman does the stuff that you normally expect men to do. And I don't know if that's just like conditioning or if that is perspective, right? I'm a woman, so I see men in a very different way than probably a man would see himself. And I see myself and the way women operate in a very different way than like I'm sure a man would see the way women move through the world. So I, uh, I was just kind of struck by the, the relationships of guy friends and like how they viewed women that they liked. Or uh, There's one story where this guy has had this girlfriend from high school, but he just can't seem to get his act together. And he tells his best friend, like, why don't you date her? If you date her, you know, I know you're decent and I'd rather her date you than just like some stranger I don't know, you know. Um, and so that's kind of interesting. Uh, there also were a lot of themes of, of infidelity and how, how, much, uh, how much stock to maybe put into that. Like were people really affected by their spouse's infidelity or not? Or is it just something to be expected? That's just the way relationships go. Um, it was it was just a very interesting uh, detachment um, from things that I feel like we have very, usually, at least in, in the, especially in America, I wouldn't say West because I feel like maybe depending on what European country you're in, it might be a little different. Um, we have very different ideas about how one handles these situations. Do you just say, well, clearly you don't love me and I'm moving on? or there's nuance to this, or that's just the way life is, and of course this was going to happen. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I finished this collection um, struck by the beauty of the prose, um, and I think the universality of figuring out love, right? Um, that it is a madness, <laughs> and uh, and what people um, what people will do in the midst of it to to keep it going, and then what will happen when they are no longer able to sustain it, right? And how that how that plays out. Um, so I I highly recommend it. I very much enjoyed it. I'm going to take a quick break, and then I'm going to tell you some things that are making me happy. So, what's making me happy? I am loving the most recent season of The Great British Bake Off on Netflix. I'm an Anglophile, and I love this show. It makes me so happy. They're so polite and kind to each other. And I love baking, and so I feel inspired every time I watch it. Um, I have not been binging it. I've been watching an episode a night, and I'm missing an, an episode or two this weekend because I'm not home. That just means I get to watch it for longer. So that has been really fun. Um, also, I have been listening to... So I have Spotify, and I've been listening to the Throwback Thursday playlist every week, and it's been really fun. This week, it was not the 90s, but the last week, a couple weeks prior to that, it was 90s music, and I was like instantly transported back to being like 15, 16 years old, um, riding around with friends in my small town. And it was just so good for the soul to listen to all that music. 
Um, so that's another thing that I've been enjoying. Um, anything else that comes to mind? I think those might be the two big high points. Um, oh, so I did not make a playlist for this episode. I had done kind of a bit of a crowdsourcing to see if people even listen to them, and it seems that maybe they're not. So that's just going to be some energy I will divert to other things instead. Um, so there we go. Polymath is a podcast of Brit Stone. Hope you enjoyed and listen again next time.